So today, we come to the last chapter of Romans. Two years later, two years and a month. It's kind of bittersweet for me. I'm kind of... don't know what I'll do when we get out of Romans. It's like there's not 65 other books that we can work on. I'm good for it. I'm good to go back to chapter 1 and start all over until we see Jesus. I'm good with that, but... um, I want to share with you this morning, um, as we start, July of 2004. I went on a uh, short-term mission trip to the Philippines. I went with Moon Williams and a guy named David East, who's from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. I'd been to West Africa four four times for short-term work before that, but this was the first trip that was planned independently of any organization or affiliation. This was just three guys getting on a plane and we made the arrangements through a a man that Moon knew there, a native of the Philippines named Pedro Balsita. He would say, hello brothers. He was from there and we worked it out to go work with him and what he was saying would be a work to strengthen pastors and churches in the area that he lived in, which is the La Union province of the main island of Mindanao. Now in the process of getting ready for the trip, I had finalized a teaching. A teaching that combined the seven mystery parables of Matthew 13 and the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3. And I was stoked out of my mind about this teaching. I mean, just giddy. And I'm like, God, this is perfect timing. I can go on this trip and share this. Uh, I thought, God, you're actually giving me a worldwide platform to share this message. And the message was about the church. What happens in the church, how the church should react from the words of Jesus. And in my mind, and again, you're going to think I'm overstating this, but I'm not. In my mind, I really believed it was bound to be life-changing for me and for everybody who heard this message, everybody that I got to teach, I I envisioned these long sessions in rooms full of influential and prominent pastors who would take this message and shake the gates of hell with it, and that we'd see revival fall on the Philippine Islands and carry over into Southeast Asia and who knew where else. And that sounds a little self-inflated, but that's really... I was excited, and I I was rejoicing and the opportunity to share this message. I don't like to travel. I don't like to fly. I hate to fly. 14 hours in a plane is about one of the worst things you could ever say to me. But I was excited to go on this trip because I wanted to share this message with these pastors, with these church leaders, and I wanted to disseminate it all through the Philippines. So we took the 14-hour flight to Manila, and then we drove almost four hours up to the northwest corner of that main island and I remember driving in that bus and everybody on the bus was asleep except me and at times the bus driver seemed like he was asleep like I'm not kidding I'm like I'd say hey how long till we get there like a couple hours I'm like okay good good because I would watch him out he was nodding off I'm like no this ain't gonna happen pal (laughs) so the northwest corner of Mindanao to Bawang La Union province and we settled into our hotel It was right on the beach on the South China Sea. 
It was beautiful, and the cook knew how to make pancakes, which was, this was all looking good, so all good so far. Then Pedro, our contact there, he started giving us a rundown of the places that we were going to go, listing places I, of course, had never heard of. And he listed about six or seven places that we were supposed to cover in about six days. I was a little bit addled because I thought we were doing two seminars that would last two to three days each. I had this big teaching that was going to last. And not just me, but these other guys had stuff to teach too. So I thought, well, you know, we'll just condense it a little. We'll get through it in a day. And we'll just have a wider impact because we'll have more venues. But every place we went, we didn't have rooms full of pastors and church leaders. We had individuals. We'd meet with one person or two people. And Pedro would say, Give us some encouraging words about your mission, brothers. I'm like, encouraging words about my mission? I've got an 18-page document here that I'm ready to teach through to a bunch of people. I don't want to share encouraging words about my mission to these people that I'll never see again. We had one meeting that was in a church with a handful of members, but nowhere near the number of quality that I had in mind in planning for the trip. I do remember we sat and talked to a young woman whose husband had recently died in a fishing accident, whose body was on display in their living room, which was custom for them. It was, you know, in a glass-covered casket type thing, and they would keep, it there, keep the body there for a week. So we, we were there within the week of him dying, so here's a young widow that we got to talk to, that we got to share encouraging words about our mission to. We talked to an older woman whose daughter lived with her and who was trying to survive the ravages of poverty and loneliness. We talked to an older man who was gravely ill and angry and couldn't understand our English at all and had to patiently wait while Pedro tried to translate what these men from America were trying to tell him. And all the while, my frustration with Pedro and with God grew and bubbled. This was not the plan. This was not the goal. How were me and my message supposed to explode the ingrained ideas about church life if we never met with the people in the church who could make lasting impact there? Where were my rooms full of influential and powerful pastors and church leaders? And I left the Philippines feeling like God had failed me and like I had failed God. Now more on that when we end the message. But now for today, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew, uh, Matthew where would that come from? <laughs> Romans chapter 16. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16 and verses 21 through 23. <clears throat> um, and let me just say, this is not just a list of names. But if you would please stand out of respect for the Word of God and the God of the Word. <clears throat> I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, 
They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now to 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greet you. So do Lucius and Jason, and so Sipter, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we trust you to teach us and equip us and empower us to hear, to understand, and to live out what you have to say to us today through the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for being our teacher. We ask for your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Nothing like a list of names to get your question and your reading ability, right? <laughs> Aristobulus is my favorite. Aristobulus. Well, I like Jason. I like that. Yeah, that's a good name. <laughs> so that, that's a whole lot to read and to think about. But we're going to approach this today a little bit different. It's not going to be a verse by verse. Let's talk about this. Now, we will we'll, we'll mention the people each individually. That won't take a real long time, if you can believe that. Uh, But we're going to look at this by looking at the theme overall and the people individually in pretty quick movements. It won't be your verse-by-verse normal due to the volume of the information, but we'll see how it all works together for our instruction. So let's dig in. Now, when you study the Bible, there are certain principles that you always want to hold to. Context is one of the big ones. Y'all have heard me say that many times. What does the context dictate that this passage means? Okay. Now, one of the key things that you want to look for with context and for themes overall is are repeated words. Now, if you were listening and if you looked pretty close, you saw some repeated words in this passage. Now, I want to show you kind of... Y'all have probably seen people that color in their Bible, inductive type method where you mark recurring words with certain colors or certain shapes or whatever. I want to show you what I saw when I started marking this passage. You see the green, the yellow, and the red? You see a lot of it, right? Let me explain to you what that means. uh, If you look at the screen, the yellow highlighting is the word greet or greeting. Okay, And uh, it's used 21 times in these verses. Okay, so that's a lot. Something said 21 times in these verses, and I don't... Uh, I didn't count the number. Let's see, it's 16, 19 verses. So 21 times in 19 verses is pretty significant. Um, the green is in Christ or in the Lord. Again, it's up there. That's 12 times. And then you've got beloved in red. And again, I don't expect you to be able to see that, but trust me, okay? We just read it. You can double-check me later if you want to. So you've got 
Greet the beloved in Christ. So that's going to be our title, that's going to be our outline, and that's going to be our application points today. Okay? Greet the beloved in Christ. That's, that's, what, that's what this passage tells us to focus on. We don't have a choice. If we do anything else here besides that, we've missed the point of the context of the passage. And that's what we don't want to do. The main theme of these verses is simply, greet the beloved in the Lord or in Christ. And that's going to be the overarching theme of what we look, look at today. So we need to define these terms or these phrases if we're going to understand Listen to me again, and I know I say this a lot. Our goal in preaching is to find out what the author was trying to say to the readers, communicate that thought to us, and then figure out how it applies in our lives today. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me? Are the questions we should be consistently asking as we read the Scriptures. So what was Paul trying to do here? He was trying to greet the beloved in Christ. So that's what we're going to do. So we need to define these terms. We need to define greet. We need to define in Christ, which was a message in itself several months ago. And we need to define beloved. What Paul is doing is sending greetings to members of this church to which he's never been personally before. He's never been there. What does it mean to send, what does it mean to send greetings or to greet someone? Now, I've got a big, lengthy definition for the word greet, okay? I'm, I'm going to spare you my efforts to pronounce that as Pazoma. I know it won't. I'll give it a shot. Sixty occurrences in the New Testament, okay? It can mean embrace, greet, take leave, to draw to oneself, to salute, to greet, to bid welcome, wish well to, receive joyfully welcome. Now, this additional information was pretty pertinent. <laughs> I love this wording. Used of those accosting anyone. Okay? Of those who visit one to see him a little while, departing almost immediately afterwards, to pay respects to a distinguished person by visiting him. Of those who greet one whom they meet in the way. This is even not these Christians and Mohammedans do not greet each other so in the time, in that place, which there was no Mohammedans then as... Islam became a religion, Christians and Muslims didn't greet each other. Why? Because a salutation was made not merely by a slight gesture and a few words, but generally by embracing and kissing. And then this statement, a journey was retarded frequently by saluting. Now the word retarded means slowed, okay? So, okay, now... Motorcycle, right? You drive by somebody else on a motorcycle, what do you do? Huh? That's right, that's right. That's right. You, you do this thing, or that, no, you don't do that thing, but you do that thing there. It's like this, this code, you know? It's like you're driving by, you're like, hey, hey. You don't have time to stop and greet them, you just do, hey. Not so with this greeting here. This greeting was embracing and kissing. Now, before you get too bent out of shape about that, it was a kissing on the cheek, okay? It was a peck, I love you, a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around. I start to say kiss on the neck. That's different, completely. <laughs> That's, not 
No, that's not brief. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> we digress. So it was a kiss on the cheek, sometimes on both cheeks. You've seen, seen that. But that statement, a journey was frequently retarded by saluting. So it's like, man, I can't get where I'm going because I just have to keep embracing and kissing people. That's kind of what it's saying here. And so Paul is saying here to send greetings, to greet so-and-so and to greet so-and-so. So as we look into that and see that it can be used in a few different ways, what was Paul calling for when he called for people to be greeted in his letter to the Romans? Now there's surely a thought that he's telling his readers to salute someone, wish them well, but again, look at that end. A salutation was made not merely by a slight gesture and a few words, but generally by embracing and kissing. Husbands and wives, have you ever went to hug or kiss your spouse and they kind of gave you the quick, you know, it's like, go on, busy. Fine. It, this was not this quick. I'm out of here. It was purposeful. Paul was saying, employ some embracing and kissing. Paul was saying to purposefully, physically show love and affection to someone. John Piper said it was like Paul sent a bottle of love to someone and asked his readers to pour it out on them. So it wasn't like as they read the letter, someone yelled across the room, Hey Gaius, Paul says hey! Which is what we would do, right? <laughs> Goober says hey or something. No, when these people heard their name, they knew Paul was expressing specific love and affection for them and was showing his desire to have them pointed out. And if it took some time, if it slowed things down, all the better. So be it. Greet. Show some love to, embrace, kiss, salute this person or these people. Now note that well. That's going to be important as we move on. Now let's look at in Christ or in the Lord. Does this look familiar to anybody? There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 And when we looked at Romans 8.1, we actually had two different messages. We had... Therefore, now no condemnation is one message. And then we had in Christ Jesus as a message. So we spent a whole message over a year ago, well over a year ago I guess now, talking about what it means to be in Christ. And to pull from that message, again where we saw that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we said to be in Christ means just that. That we have been placed positionally, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now where is Jesus Christ? Where is the man, Jesus Christ? He is seated in heaven on the throne. After completing His work here, He ascended into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father in a physical body. And He's coming again one day. But the Scriptures say that we are in Christ. So are we in the world or are we in Christ? Yes, is the right answer. Romans 6.3 even further back said this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now that verse is not referring to water baptism, but rather what happened when we were born again. We were baptized, which means immersed, into Jesus. 
We were placed completely head to toe. That's why we dunk and not sprinkle. To signify this, there's not a part of us that is not in Christ. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And he goes on to say, not only His death, but His resurrection. We were immersed into Christ Jesus. All of us, individually, all of us corporately, went into Him. We were literally in Him. We are literally in Him now as those who have been born again. And the frequency, the frequency with which the New Testament points this out is staggering. The phrase, in Christ, in Jesus, in the Lord. Is, and I didn't count them. I didn't get that far. But this is some of the things that we learn about our position in Christ. We see in the New Testament that we are given grace in Christ. We were chosen in Christ. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We have redemption in Christ. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. And it could go on and on and on again. To be born again is to be placed in Christ. People ask me if I know that I'm going to heaven and I always tell them, if Jesus makes it, I'll make it. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to be there. Because God placed me in Christ. Now if Jesus falls away, I have something to worry about. But He ain't going to. So I don't have to worry about it. Because I have been placed in Christ. And Paul speaks that over and over, over these people here in Romans. One of Paul's favorite phrases seems to be the two-word combination, in Christ. And he knew the full ramifications of it. He spent most of this letter trying to explain to us what that means. So here, at the end of Romans, his doctrine puts on flesh and blood in people. Individuals. He calls for these beloved people to be greeted and to pronounce over them that they are and that their work is in Christ. And that is not throwaway language. It is of tremendous importance. He sees their worth and the worth of their work as uniquely and powerfully recognized in Christ. They are fellow workers in Christ. They were in Christ before Paul was. They work in the Lord. They themselves are in Christ and on and on. Yes, Paul loves these people, but his joy is that who they are and what they are doing is in Christ. That is what sets them apart and endears them to Paul so much. Hallelujah, we are who you say we are. So he loved these people. And speaking of love, what did we say our, our thematic overview was? Greet the beloved in Christ. Okay, So we're going to talk about beloved real quick. In verses 5, 8, 9, and 12, Paul says that certain people are beloved. Now while it certainly seems that all of them are dear to him and all are loved by him, he says Epinatus, Ampliatus, Stachys, and Persis are beloved. Now what does that word mean? Let me give you beloved. It's a much shorter definition. 62 times in the New Testament. Dearly beloved, we gather here today. Well beloved, dear, beloved, esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. When I saw favorite, I can't help but think of Don. Let me tell you ladies, 
you're, you really are all his favorite. So, okay? So when he walks up to you and says, you're my favorite, he means it. And that's what beloved means. You're my favorite. It's like Paul saying, he's my favorite. Persis, my favorite. Stagus, my favorite. Ampliatus, he's my favorite. But there's a shade of meaning there that stands out. It's like pointing out someone for special recognition. Now, I don't have any reason why, I don't understand why Paul just picks these four out. I don't get that. And the text doesn't give us any indication as to why. So I'm not going to go there. But I believe the question is, these four, are they beloved by Him? Are they beloved by the Roman church? Are they beloved by Christ Himself? And again, I think the answer to those questions is yes. They are beloved by Paul. They are beloved by the church. And they are beloved by Christ Jesus Himself. Epinatus, Ampliatus, and Stachys are called my beloved by Paul. Persis is, Persis is called the beloved. The beloved Persis. So it could be taken as all the above in the sampling. And I think it stands out a little more in the context of these greetings and then the theme overall to see that beloved is even a thing. Being beloved, which sounds like Old English to us, which sounds Shakespearean. It's like we had to get that extra syllable in there to make the iambic pentameter. But to be beloved or beloved is a thing. You know what it feels like to be the beloved of somebody? I do. I like it too. Makes me real happy. Being beloved is a thing. All of these individuals were beloved or beloved. What what would y'all have me say? Beloved or beloved? Tell me. And I'll mess it up the whole time. So... (laughs) All of these individuals were beloved, and so is each person who is in Christ. We are, I am, you are the beloved of the Lord. And you are the beloved of the church. And someone in your particular group probably sees you as their individual beloved. It's how the church works. It's how God set it up. We should forge special relationships with certain people and become beloved to them as they become more and more beloved to us. We are loved, we love, and that love is pandemic within the church of Jesus Christ of those who are in Christ. Okay, so now what? What do we do with this information about greeting the beloved in Christ in the passage that we have today? Well, let's keep the truth about greeting... In Christ and beloved in mind, as we look at these people that Paul mentions, I count 35 individuals that are pointed out in these 19 verses. Let's see who they are. And again, this is going to be quick. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But I do want to mention them by name because Paul mentioned them by name. Okay? Oh, that's not the right passage. I clicked the wrong... That's going to look funny on the presentation, isn't it? Okay. First one is Phoebe. I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So first question is, is Phoebe from Rome? The answer is no. She's a servant of the church at Sincrea. That was a little port city right near Corinth, which is where Paul probably wrote this letter from about 57 A.D., So he doesn't say 
greet her. He says, I commend her to you. So this letter was probably taken to Rome by Phoebe. Now think about that, ladies. Paul had this precious letter to send to Rome and he sends it with Phoebe. And he tells the church there, I commend this woman to you. She's a servant of the church at Syncria, which also could mean deacon. We won't get into all that this morning. But he tells them to welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. That word patron could literally mean financier. So she's helped probably financially with a lot of... She's a wealthy woman, obviously. And she's helped financially a lot of people. And Paul says she's helped me financially as well. So I commend her to you with this letter. Could there be a higher commendation of somebody? Here's Romans. Here's this letter that I want you to read about the greatness of the salvation of God. And I'm going to send it to this lady here. And he tells them, receive her. Help her in any way. Help her in a way worthy of the saints. So let me ask you a question. Were men and women equal in the church? You bet they were. Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Prisca and Aquila are mentioned in uh, Acts a couple of times. What do we know about them? Anybody remember what they did for a profession? They were tent makers. Paul hung out with them because they were tent makers like him. And they didn't make metaphorical tents like we do today. They made literal tents. Okay? And it says they moved a lot. They were in Ephesus. They were in Corinth. They, now they're in Rome. So these folks are workers. They're movers. They had probably been in Rome... And Claudius had told all the Jews to leave Rome at one point, and now they were filtering back in. So here they are, and it's, Paul calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. This wasn't like, okay, Paul, I'll pray for you as you suffer. This was, no, leave Paul alone. And that could have happened at Ephesus when he was getting called out for by the mob. We don't know for sure. But we do know that somewhere along the line they risked their necks. They stuck their head out for Paul's safety. And he gives thanks for them. And not just him, but all the churches of the Gentiles. So they had done some work, y'all. All the Gentile churches had been affected somehow by Prisca and Aquila. We know that they took Apollos in and taught him the way better. Apollos was a great preacher, but he didn't know his doctrine very well. So they taught him doctrine. So now they're at Rome and Paul says, Hey, greet them. Show them some love. Why? Because they worked with me. They risk their necks for my life, and all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. Greet also the church in their house. So they had a church in their house too. Let me say a quick thing about house churches. Most house churches today are people who are fed up with the church and they want to do their own thing, so they start a church in their house. That's not what happened in Rome. You just had so many people, they had to meet separately. Okay, There was one church in Rome with many little churches that met and affiliated together. And Prisca and Aquila had churches in their had a church in their home. Epinatus, um, nothing that we know about him except what this says. He was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That's all we know about him. So that's all we're going to say about him. Mary, who has worked hard for you, Mary, whoever she was, worked hard for the Romans 
the Roman church. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Now, again, we don't know much about these folks. My kinsmen probably means they were Jewish. Could mean that they were like cousins or I don't know. But usually that meant they were Jewish. They were his fellow prisoners, so at some point they had been in prison with Paul, more than likely. And they are well known to the apostles. So these are heavy hitters here. Okay, They'd been in jail with Paul, and they were well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me, Paul says. So they knew Jesus before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Again, that's all we know about him. We know that he was beloved to Paul in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, who was obviously a cowboy. Our fellow worker in Christ. That's all we know about him. He's a fellow worker in Christ. And my beloved Stachys. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Stachys. Stachys was a wee little man. No, we don't. That's a different guy. And what do we know about Stachys? He was beloved. He was Paul's beloved. Greet Apelles. What do we know about Apelles? He's approved in Christ. You just wonder, and again, I don't like to do much. I wonder, but I wonder if Apelles had problems understanding and accepting the fact that he was approved in Christ. And Paul just wanted it called out special. Hey, remind Apelles, he's approved in Christ. He doubts, he fears, he feels like he's too sinful and things are too bad for him. Remind him what I said in Romans 7, that I'm a wretched man too. And remind him that he's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. And we know that Aristobulus has a family. They're in Rome. And Paul says to greet them. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Again, kinsman could mean blood relative or it could mean that he was Jewish. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. That's all we know about him. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania and Tryphosa. Ooh, say it again, Tryphosa. Ooh, it's a Disney joke. Sorry about that. Good kids, Mufasa. <laughs> workers in the Lord is what we know about Trephania and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis. We've already talked about him. And what has Persis done? He has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus. Now, we may know something more about Rufus than we do about some of these other people. Maybe. We know that he's chosen in the Lord. We know that his mom's with him and that his mom had been a mother to Paul as well. It doesn't mean that they're brothers. It doesn't mean that they were blood relatives. But we do know a little bit about a man named Rufus from Mark 15, 21. This is when Jesus was being crucified. They compelled a passerby... Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. Was this the same Rufus? Don't know. Very well could have been. Simon was from Cyrene, but Rufus could have ended up in Rome. We don't know. Uh, But Paul says to greet him and his mama. He's like, tell Rufus, hey. Tell his mama we love him and her. Um, Greet... Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Again, we know nothing about these folks except what it says here. They're there, Paul says to greet them, and there's some brothers who are with them. Which seems to signify to me some sort of discipleship 
relationship. They have some brothers with them that they're teaching maybe, that they're instructing. Philologus, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. He just says to greet these folks. Now, again, let, let, me, let me jump back on this train for a second. Julia is mentioned in there, another lady. So there's another lady. Listen to me. I believe there's some confusion, some question among, especially some of you ladies. What's your role here? Do we see men and women as equals? And the answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely. We are complementarian, which means that we believe that God created male and female equal in the image of God and that we have specific roles that God has called us to fulfill in the church, in the family, in the culture. Equal with different roles. I don't see anything in scriptures, in the scriptures that a woman cannot do in their role outside of being an elder in the church. The elder is to be the husband of one wife. That's it, one of the things. So it doesn't say the wife of one husband. Now, what can you do if you can't be an elder? Well, only about 6,000 other things. Okay? We're not trying to say, well, you can't do this. This is something special. It's not, it's not special in that it's so special you can't have it. It's just a role that God has assigned to men. Okay? Can a woman stand up here and preach on Sunday morning? No. Because that's the job of the elder, and the elder is to be a man. Now, what else can you do? Anything else? In your proper role. Men, in your proper role. Paul gave a lot of credence to women. Jesus gave a ton of credence to women. You talk about advancing the cause of feminine worth. Nobody in history has done more than Jesus Christ for that. So please hear me say that. Equal. Male and female, He created them in His image. Equal. You just can't be an elder because that's a man's job. And there are people who would fight tooth and nail and say, well, I should be able to preach and I should be able to be an elder. I'm sorry. I mean, we're, we're just not going to do it here because that's not what the Scripture says. And that's why. Because the Scripture says elders are, are to be the husband of one wife and don't give a fiat for something else. So I hope that's clear. We don't want to relegate you to the kitchen. Just go fix our food. But you can do that too. I made the chili last week, you know, while my wife was gone, so we can cook too. So please, please, please. And if you have questions about that, please talk to us. Don't sit and simmer in that and let the culture tell you that we're patriarchal and that we're trying to hold you down. Please talk to us. I promise there'll be much more clarity than the fog that has settled into your brain that the culture's telling you, okay? I hope I'm clear about that. I hope, uh, this passage tells us there were some women working hard in the church and advancing the cause of Christ. And Paul was saying, these ladies are wearing it out. Praise God for them. Okay? Now, greet one another with a holy kiss. Yeah, well, <laughs> Don gave me a kiss this morning. He came up and he kissed his fingers and he put it on my cheek and he said, that's the only kiss you're ever going to get from me. 
and I said, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Yeah, I don't even kiss ugly women. No, I don't even. I really don't kiss my kids much, especially on the mouth. I know where their mouths have been. <laughs> Just play. <laughs> kiss my wife on the mouth, that's about it. Um, it was something that they did. They did it especially, curiously enough, after the Lord's table, after communion. They would walk around and greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. I don't want to do that. <laughs> Y'all want to do that? That's fine. Don't kiss me, okay? This was not prescriptive, okay? This was something that was normative in their time. Y'all want to kiss on each other? That's fine. I'm not going to kiss you. Don't kiss me, okay? And again, I'm not going to get mad if you like kiss me on the cheek and say, I love you, brother. I'd rather you didn't. So, all the churches of Christ greet you. And obviously all the churches of Christ couldn't go to Rome and embrace them and kiss them, but he's just saying, man, if we could, we would. Now, he also gives a list of people that are with him. Okay, and that's verses 21 through 23. And we'll just mention them quickly too. Timothy, we know a lot about Timothy. We won't spend much time here. He calls him here my fellow worker. In 2 Timothy, he calls him my beloved son. We see in the book of Acts that he was living with his mom and his grandma. Paul came through, Paul circumcised him, and he said, you're coming with me. And we know that the presbytery laid their hands on him and he was imparted spiritual gifts by that. We know that he was probably, I say we know, we believe he was probably a pastor at Ephesus, a young man who had problems with his stomach that he had to drink wine for. Paul told him that. We know a lot about Timothy. Um, So Timothy is with Paul as he writes this letter. And he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius. Lucius may be... um, um, Lost my my train of thought. Lucius is mentioned in Acts 13.1. It doesn't say much about him. It just mentions him. It might be the same person. And he calls him a kinsman, um, as he does Jason and Sosipater. And again, could mean... Blood relative could mean that he was Jewish. Jason. No, sorry. Uh, Jason. We, we do hear about Jason in Acts, and since it's my name, we'll, we'll take time to show you that. Um, Acts 17, 5 through 9. Paul is in Thessalonica. Uh, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Talking about Paul and his associates. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason having received them, Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So Jason was kind of like the representative of Paul and his buddies in Thessalonica, and he had to pay the mob to get them off. Paul's back, basically. That's what we know about Jason. Sosipater, we really don't know much about Sosipater outside of what Paul says here at the end of Romans 16. He's a kinsman with Lucius and Jason, my kinsman. I like this. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Paul had some problems, we know, and he dictated his letters most of the time. Every now and then he'd sign them with his own big writing. Uh, So his scribe here was Tertius. And he wrote this letter. So somebody asks you who wrote Romans, you say, Tertius wrote Romans. Uh, 
and you're right. Um, but, but he says, I, Tertius, greet you in the Lord too. It's like he's like, hey, Paul, can I... He's like, go ahead, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. I mean, he's saying the same thing Paul's saying, which just shows a transference of this mindset and this love. Paul loved the Romans, so Tertius loved the Romans. Last verse. Gaius, 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 who was host to me and to the whole church greets you. So what we know about Gaius is there are several different Gaiuses mentioned in the Bible. This one is obviously in Corinth. He's the host to Paul. Paul's staying with him at the time of writing uh, the book of Romans. And he's the host of the whole church in Corinth. He must have had a big pad because it's Corinth a big place. There's quite a few believers there, I would think. Uh, so that's what we know about Gaius. Erastus is the city treasurer, again in Corinth, and our brother Quartus. He's about a fourth of a man. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's all we know about him. We know his name and that these folks greet the people in Rome. Now, we blew through that list pretty quick. It like, felt like a long time to me. Um... But it would be easy to say, well, we don't know anything about most of these folks, so they must not be a big deal. But that's just it. They are all a big deal. Even Quartus, he's probably about a fourth of a big deal. They are all being greeted as those who are beloved in Christ. They are all in Christ. They are in the church of Jesus Christ. They are saints. They are God's people. Now, do you get that? And I'm not just asking you, hey, you get that? I'm asking you, do you get that? These people that we just talked about, you, me, us, these people are hand chosen by God to show His glory in the world. And that's a really, really big why did God set His love on them? Why are they the beloved in Christ? Was it because of something that they did? Was it because of something that I did that God chose me? My rugged good looks? Yeah, that's right. That's funny. That's where y'all laugh. Hardly. It's simply because of grace. In grace, before the foundation of the world, God said these people were His. God said, we are His. They are in Christ. They are beloved. We are in Christ. We are beloved. And Paul slows things down a little, purposefully, and greets them to show their value, their worth, his love for them, and how church life ought to be. You say, well, he didn't mention everybody. He didn't know everybody. He greeted the people that he knew. And he, because he wanted to point them out and say, yeah, that guy. Oh, yeah, that lady. Oh, yeah, those folks. Man, stop what you're doing and go give them a hug for me. Could you imagine having your name read as this letter's being read? We like attention. We like affection. And we're wired that way. You're like, I don't like attention. I'm an introvert. I think you like a little attention. This is how church life ought to be. So Paul shows it in flesh and blood and says, Greet the beloved in Christ, especially these folks who I know.
and he hoped to come see him soon so that he would know even more of him. And if he got to Spain and wrote a letter from Spain back to him, I'd say he'd mention even more. The end of the Spanish letter would be longer than the Roman letter because he'd say, oh yeah, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy gave a ton of cash for this and I appreciate it. It's bearing fruit in Spain. Now we don't think he ever made it to Spain, but just saying. He, this is the people that he knew and he wanted them greeted in the Lord and he wanted them to know that they are beloved. So, what do we do with this? Wrapping it up. We're going to go backwards in our application points that we did. Greet the beloved in the Lord. We're going to start with in the Lord. And what I want you to do as a as way of application for in the Lord, I want you to know your position in Christ. But not only that, I want you to know that that's the position of every believer in Christ. In Christ. That is life-changing. And we probably use that phrase very glibly, but if we understand that we are in Christ, that changes life, that changes the world, that changes Hurricane Irma. That changes our giving. We hope to be able to especially serve those of the household of the faith with our money that we're sending. We're going to help everybody that we can, especially those of the household of the faith. These people are in the Lord and we suffer with them and we celebrate with them. Our church and every church, we talked about cooperation last week. Their church is right up the road this way. Their church is over the hill that way. Their church is in Bluefield and Princeton. Their church is in Morgantown, California. And we may not have a chance to work with all of them, but when we get a chance, we understand these folks are in Christ. And that gives us a special affection for them, which means, point two, the beloved. It's not just about your position in Christ. It's not just about your position there. But it's each person's role and place in your heart is to be the beloved. You don't have time to pour out special love on every individual believer. But when you come in contact with a believer in Christ, instantly you should say, this is my beloved. And I'm going to pour some love out on him as much as I can by the power of the Holy Spirit, understanding grace for me, grace for them, the power of God to redeem them. And that person, that believer in Christ, has a special place in your heart. We should love the people of God. Now, do we agree with everybody about everything? No. But I've been married to my wife for 21 years and we still don't agree about everything. So do I have to agree with my brother in Christ for him to be beloved? Absolutely not. Now, we're going to see next week, if he's a heretic, he ain't my brother in the first place. And not only do I need to dissociate from him, I need to refute him with sound doctrine. But some of us have taken it upon ourselves to be doctrine warriors. And we've divided ourselves from the body of Christ, not knowing that we are supposed to be the beloved of each other. Know your position in the Lord and know your role and the place the beloved are supposed to have in your heart.
That's the first two application points. The last one is greet. Greet. I am greet, right? And the application here is, and listen to me, church, take time to love people on purpose, even if it slows you down, even if it retards your journey, especially if it slows you down. We were driving to church this morning, and Linda Buttram called and left a message on my voicemail. And she needed help getting her car to the hospital because her car had been taken home. And my first thought was, I don't have time to do that. And God went, zoop! What are you preaching this morning, big boy? And I I literally laughed. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. If we need to get Linda her car, we'll get Linda her car. Slow down and love on God's people especially if it slows you down. My trip to the Philippines taught me in hindsight that the church I was so eager to impact is made up of individuals. People with stories, people with needs, people with emotions, people who are just trying to get through life. The church that I was so eager to impact is made up of widows and angry old men and people who can't understand English. Poor people, rich people, mobile people, handicapped people, proud people, arrogant people, near and far. And as such, God uses people to greet people. God uses people to love people. And God uses people to tell the story of Jesus to other people. We are not only commanded, but we have the privilege of serving each other in the church. We have the privilege of blessing each other. We have the privilege of building each other up. On purpose. Slow, slow grind. Day after day after day. Text after text. Call after call. Visit after visit. 2 o'clock a.m. phone call after 2 o'clock a.m. phone call. Greet the Beloved. In Christ. Slow down. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Greet the beloved in Christ. And we're going to finish this way. Jesus said the world would know that we are his disciples by the love that we have for one another. He says that in John. What does that look like? We finish here. Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats. This is what it looks like. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Just so you know, sheep good, goats bad. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, good, Come, 
You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For your doctrine was strong. For you had all the right answers. For you were very politically active. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You retarded your journey and you helped me at the expense of your time, money, effort, affection. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. It's not all though. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also, then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them. Keith Green would say, yes, he will answer. Saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Listen to me. I am not saying you have to work to earn your salvation. But I am saying when you are saved, you will work. You will greet the beloved in Christ with a cup of water, with some clothes, with a visit, with some food. Christianity is a blatant one another religion. It's a cup of cold water to the least of these religion. It's an I was sick and you visited me religion. We exist for each other. We thrive when we forget ourselves and live for the sake of others. So slow down and greet the beloved in Christ. Let's pray. God, as for you, your way is perfect. And your way includes the church made up of individuals who love and bless and serve and encourage one another. Teach us what it means to greet one another as we love each other and as we see and understand that we all, all of us as believers, are in Christ. God, help us in our fast-paced, busy, 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 much too busy for you world. Help us to slow down and greet one another. By the power of your Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us, that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Stay and eat with us if you can, please.